gothic YouTuber, dramatic mezzo-soprano, and all around a beautiful dark soul. Adrian LeVay joins us in the funeral park. The main advice news reporters have been able to get from official sources is to tell private citizens to stay inside their homes behind locked doors. Do not venture outside for any reason until the nature of this crisis has been determined and until we can advise what course of action to take. Keep listening to radio and TV for special instructions as this crisis develops further. corpses and welcome to the gothic side of life i am of course your funeral guide glenley allen davis a quick note before we get started just to let you guys know i know i've been away on this podcast for a while but i've actually been doing a musical project for kofn underground and I've pretty much been writing music over the last six months. Now that I got that out of my system, I'll probably be doing more shows. So stay tuned for that. Which brings us to our guest today, because I had the privilege of working with her on my last release, Lost in the Sea of Empty. She was the operatic voice on Down the Lonely Path. So we're going to talk to her today and get her perspective on all things musical, YouTube, and otherwise. But if you get a chance, look up KOF in Underground and you can listen to some of the music that I wrote. I worked with some really great artists, Adrian being one of them. I also worked with Tony F. Corpse, Chris Bone, and of course, uh, some of my previous songs with my brother, uh, Eric. You can check it out on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, and the sort. So let's get after it. Welcome to this celebration of death. Okay, so we would like to welcome Adrian LeVay to the studio today. Thank you for doing the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Uh, how are you? <laughs> oh, I am living in a hole with uh, <laughs> with not much around me. No, uh, I'm doing great. Thank you. So good. So the reason you're here is obviously you had or I had the opportunity to work with you on my EP, uh, Lost in the Sea of Empty, and you were working on the song Singing uh, Down the Lonely Path. I guess one of the things that I discovered you from was YouTube. So you're a gothic YouTuber. You're an opera mm -hmm. singer. Um, I think you're also an author from what I saw, or, or there's you have many different titles. Yes, I, I did write a um, book about the gothic subculture written from the perspective of a relatively young goth. 
and it was aimed at younger viewers or younger readers, I should say. And then uh, how long ago was that? Oh, I want to say like six or seven years ago, maybe eight. Uh, maybe I could possibly do like a like a re-release or something or a new edition, thinking about that. To get right down to it, goth is somewhat in your blood. And from what I understand is you grew up in, uh, was it Yakima, if I'm correct? That is correct. I grew up in the Yakima area, which was literally devoid of any kind of goth scene whatsoever. So it was me, my best friend Gabby, and then my friend Emma that were pretty much the only goths in the area that actually cared about the subculture and were genuinely into the music and avidly read gothic literature. And we got together and watched all that spooky horror stuff that we all love so much. And so I would so, imagine being in that remote area because I've driven through Yakima, Washington, and it's a little bit out of the way from everything. Um, it is. They must not have been that welcoming. It really wasn't. Um, being like one of the few goths in that tiny, tiny town uh, within Yakima Valley, you had a lot of very red Republican leaning sort of areas. And I'm not kidding when I say that the house that I grew up in, a stone's throw away from it, there was a house that is flying a Trump flag. <laughs> well, that's so you can imagine a bisexual Hispanic uh, goth opera singer is not very welcome in such a place. <laughs> so, so then that makes, uh, that brings me to my next question is, is how then did you get into being surrounded by rednecks that, well, I don't want to insult anybody, but, uh, <laughs> being surrounded by, um, uh, not kind minded or like-minded people, how then do you approach, uh, uh becoming, or what, uh, I should say, what comes first, goth or opera? Opera came first for me because, Opera was very often played in my house when I was growing up. So my mom was a pretty big fan of opera. She had a lot of opera CDs. Uh, she had the old uh, Classics for Lovers compilation from way, way, way back in the early 90s. And that was one of the things I really loved listening to. And even though I really enjoyed listening to opera, I didn't really find anything that really resonated and really stuck with me until I was about 15 years old. Okay. And that's when I discovered my favorite composer and he's like his work of Gaetano Donizetti. He, it was his work that really propelled me into per, like seriously pursuing opera. And uh, in and of itself, ga or opera, I should say, is somewhat dark and uh, mysterious. So given that background, it must have drawn you to the dark side, I should say. <laughs> In some ways, it definitely did. Um, I really recognized the dark themes of opera even when I was really, really young. And when you combine that with growing up watching the original Dark Shadows from the 1960s, the TV show, as well as several different horror movies and having a precocious ability to read, um, I was naturally drawn to darker things. And so once I figured out that there was a culture that revolved all around those things that I really, really loved that were all dark, spooky, and beautiful, um, I did a little research and I found, oh, this sounds like something that I belong in. Nice. <laughs> and so what was one of the first, let's say, formally goth bands that you kind of were gravitated towards and said, oh, wow, this is 
I got to keep listening to this. I would say that, you know, I did my initial research kind of fumbling around the the staple bands and then kind of branching out from there. And I would say a lot of London After Midnight, um, Faith in the Muse, Switchblade Symphony, especially Switchblade Symphony, because they had such a huge emphasis on uh, classically trained voices and mixing uh, symphonic elements with um, really interesting electronic goth elements. Really, really cool. Yeah, they had a, a definitely a, a good mix of that electronica early on, especially because uh, back then it didn't really exist as much other than like more of the techno type of stuff or even disco stuff. It wasn't right. wasn't as prominent. And then I also really loved Dead Can Dance because they really captured that mysterious, dark, operatic quality that I loved so much. Yeah, definitely Dead Can Dance is one of my favorites growing up. Beautiful band. Obviously, when you start getting into that, not only just with the music, but then comes the look. How do you handle the ridicule that comes with that or the the, ju the judgment that falls? Well, after many, many years of dealing with it, you kind of just get used to it and you learn to shrug it off and you just realize, okay, that person just has a really, really limited sense of both who they are and very low comprehension of how someone else could possibly express themselves. So when I take that into consideration, I'm able to take whatever hurtful words that they have to say to me with a grain of salt. And just realize, okay, they're they're dealing with their own stuff. They have their own problems. Uh, it's not me that they have an issue with. It's themselves. And that's th that's what I find fascinating is that someone like yourself and myself, uh, 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 I'm included in that, is that even though you get ridiculed and even though you you you're faced with persecution, you do it anyway. And you go, you know what? I don't give a crap. I love this, and this is what I'm going to enjoy, and I don't give a shit what anybody else thinks. And that's what I find fascinating that you're still able to do that because I've come across so many people in my life that say, oh, I want to be gothic or, oh, I want to do this. And I go, well, just do it. Go ahead. What, what's the problem here? No, my family's not. They're going to disown me or somebody's not going to approve. And it's like, why? <laughs> like, who cares? Right. If your family's going to disown you on that basis alone... Um, sounds like you got, you got a pretty yeah. messed up family situation. Well, a lot of people do, unfortunately. <laughs> I remember my dad almost kicked me out just because I shaved the side of my head, you know? So, <laughs> I mean, I understand it, but I still did it anyway. Like you, like there's something inside of you that just says, you know what? I, this is who I am and I have to be that person and I don't care what other people think, but there's so many people that can't get past that. And I, I can't help but think like, Maybe that's why there's a high suicide rate among people because they feel boxed in and they don't, they feel they can't really be themselves without somebody judging. So therefore they can't live in this world. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense actually. And it's people like you that are able to voice your opinion and voice yourself, especially with your YouTube channel that hopefully resonates with younger generations that are able to go, okay, I can be myself. I can do this. And there's somebody there who's doing it with me. So I don't feel so alone because back, well, to age myself back in my day, there was no internet to be able to say, Hey, I feel there's other people out there like me. No, I was 
pretty much all alone until I moved to Hollywood. <laughs> so, oh dear. <laughs> so I think it's good one that you're you're pushing the message because I know you're really animate about pushing the goth message and being yourself and being who you want to be. Absolutely, and I also kind of combine both the message about being goth and about being an opera singer because I see a lot of. Um, Basically, it really got the ball rolling when I saw this interview with uh, Emily Autumn. Uh, she was talking about how she was uh, ridiculed and put down and kind of discriminated against for what she was wearing for her classical violin performances. And I loved what she had to say about that, where it's just like, you know who's not going to care about what you're wearing when you are on stage performing whatever it is you're performing? The guy who wrote it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They care, they care that their music is being heard. They don't care about, or they're not going to care rather, how outrageously or how toned down you're going to be dressing. And they don't want their performers to just fade into the background. So I guess, let me ask you this. Is there, for you personally, is there any phrase or scenario or question that you get asked that you're just sick of hearing, like, you know, by either family members or strangers, like, oh, is it Halloween already? Or, you know. That's what I always used to get all the time. Is it Halloween? Is it Halloween? I, I kind of get that little side eye and they're just like, are you like, God, there's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and you could, you could probably hear it in just that tone, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then sometimes I'll get the, oh my God, I was goth too in high school. And then I grew out of it. And then you're just like, okay, I'm 26. I'm an adult. Yeah. It's not a I phase. I don't have any. Yeah. It's not a phase. It's not a phase, mom. <laughs> No, at least it's better on your end. I I think being goth is somewhat better for uh, uh, females than it is for males because my big thing was getting stuff thrown at me and being called a faggot. No offense to anybody, but that's what I was called. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, when a male crosses over versus a female, but I guess it's the same way when a female decides to have short hair versus long hair, you know. Mm -hmm. You do anything vaguely outside of the norm. People are just jumping on you, just like, oh, what are you doing that? You want attention or something? You <laughs> yeah. know. They can't wrap their head around their own lives to be who they are, so they got to destroy others around them, I think. Absolutely. And now, with your talent, because definitely uh, if anybody who has heard your music and heard your voice would have to say you are definitely talented uh, at what you do, your voice is amazing, and for me, it was certainly you a pleasure. So <laughs> You're welcome. And it certainly was a pleasure working with you. Um, but I kind of want to go through some of the stuff that you're working on. Your first musical debut was uh, The Storm Before the Calm, uh, released on uh, Beauty and Chaos. Mm -hmm. And um, you worked on a song uh, that's the title of the CD, but that's also the title of the song that you worked on. It's kind of like, what, like a 29-minute Correct. Opus type of thing. And I have a little bit of that I'm going to play right now so we can hear that. Obviously, it's very haunting, very soundscape. Uh, what was it like working on on that song with, um, I can't remember his name. Michael Chidavolo. Oh, is that what it is? Uh, mm -hmm. I can't pronounce anything. I'm, I'm an it's English okay. white boy. 
So, <laughs> but what was it like working on that? So um, he said that, um, basically, let's, let's start from the beginning there. I did a review of Beauty and Chaos uh, in late 2019, and I gave my analysis. I did a review. I said how much I wanted to support this project, especially because my friend Ashton Knight was involved. And if it gave other musicians another, you know, glance from other people who may not have heard of them, cool. Because the thing with Beauty and Chaos is that it's not like a set group of people. It is uh, two masterminds, uh, Michael Ceravolo and Michael Rosson, uh, working together and finding musicians to bring a voice to their creations. So I had mentioned in my review that I am an opera singer, so um, that kind of caught Michael's interest. And um, he said, I might, I might have use for you a little later on with my next project. So I thought, whoa, okay, this guy's been around for a while and he wants to use my voice. Okay. <laughs> so I sent him a video of me singing Il Dolce Suono from the opera Lucia di Lammermoor, and he really, really liked it. Uh, basically, he said he liked that I had a dark take on opera. And honestly, the darkness in opera is there if you know where to look. And he really, really liked it. And he said, okay, I want you to write an opera aria for this soundscape kind of track. I thought, oh crap, I don't really speak fluent Italian. Um, I can't really do any uh, <laughs> translating on my own here. What can I do? So I was able to dig through some of my books and I found a piece of text that was uh, written for a very, very old opera piece. I'm pretty sure it was from like the 17th or 18th century. And the text was Lasciatemi morire. And that's the first uh, words that you hear me sing in my piece on the album. So the first verse, I slightly modified, and then I felt really, really inspired to write a second verse. So that little section that you were playing just now was from the second verse that I actually wrote the lyrics for. So the melody was entirely my own. The first half of it was from the old opera piece and the second half was my own but the melody was entirely mine okay so it was an inspiration from another mm -hmm. piece of work that kind of went into your own thing which is how we all write music and definitely it's a beautiful piece now it seems obviously to me it seems like a perfect fit for opera and goth to kind of go together but i also know there's a lot of people that are kind of turned off to opera you know some people are just mm -hmm. like oh that's annoying you know and it is an acquired taste for uh, just because especially people that don't understand it or, or haven't grown up with it what's your take on opera being in goth music or or that mesh i mean i'm all for it but have you gotten any uh, any flack from it have people given you crap like oh that's oh that hurts my ears or you know any negative feedback um, nothing quite like, oh my God, it hurts my ears, but more kind of the purist kind of snobbery attitude. But I more got that when I was uh, like 15 or 16 years old, when I was starting to interact with a lot of goth communities online. And they would ask me, oh, you know, what are your interests? You know, what are your hobbies, whatever. So I mentioned I was an opera singer or I was training to be an opera singer because I was still very, very young. And I got the kind of, oh, 
well, you should be learning to sing in post-punk style because <laughs> post that's the best way to preserve the subculture. And if you're singing opera, it's mainstream and you're betraying the subculture. And I'm just like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Damn. They had the balls to say that? <laughs> that's some funny crap. Yeah, apparently they did. Um, <laughs> but I personally think that opera does belong in goth. There is a place for it. And... Uh, given the right musical circumstances, I think it can work really, really well. Uh, you know, you have the kind of uh, vocal lines of Monica Richards in Faith and the Muse and of uh, Summer Francais in Machine in the Garden, and then the work of Switchblade Symphony very much crossing that line into uh, operatic territory, and then especially Dead Can Dance with um lisa and her vocals uh she's actually a dramatic alto like that's her official voice classification something like that has made its way into goth music pretty much as long as it's been around so it doesn't make any sense to me why people would just limit it to oh just post-punk style is allowed yeah unfortunately everybody has an opinion and they gotta fucking give it to you right mm-hmm. <laughs> now uh my understanding is, uh, and Dead Can Dance, didn't she sing in a, like a completely different language? Like she didn't sing Italian or German or, or something like that with her music. Wasn't it like a made up language, if I remember that correctly? That sounds about right. Uh, I remember hearing that. Again, I don't keep up with every single thing. I'm like the worst at knowing details about other bands, but but I do recall that. So it's it's e- an even more amazing feat for her to to be able to just create her own language and turn it into the amazing uh, uh, work that she did. Just in case some people that are out there are probably thinking, well, you know, it's easy to kind of mix the genre and kind of fake it operatically because there are a lot of people out there that kind of fake it. Oh, so you have seen America's Got Talent. Yeah, (laughs) but I know that you are the real deal because I'm going to play another piece that uh, you just released and I probably won't be able to pronounce it. Mon uh, Coerzo... I'm going to screw it up. There you go. And it's from the opera (laughs) Samson and Delilah. Yeah. And so let's have a listen at that. So my take on that is, is you're not a goth singer trying to be sing opera. You're an opera singer who's been invited to be amongst your people in the goth land. Is that fair to That's say? That's exactly right. <laughs> is your ultimate goal to sing in a professional opera house with a full orchestra? Have you done that yet? Or uh, is that something that's on the horizon? Uh, definitely something that's on the horizon. Um Unfortunately, the rules for getting into the Seattle Opera are very, very strict. So it's going to be a little while longer before I can even think about auditioning for them. But uh, recently, my voice teacher has said that I am ready to start auditioning for 
upper companies, whether they be um, kind of on the smaller end of things, such as the Puget Sound Opera, that's a really good starting point for me. And they have connections with the Seattle Opera if they do decide, okay, you're really good. We like you. We're going to recommend you to the Seattle Opera. Um, I have done a full-length one-woman recital, and that was uh, two and a half years ago now. And I had an accompanist, and I was uh, singing it in a cathedral, and there were almost 40 people there. I've never had a one-woman show before, and that was a little terrifying. But once I got past the initial uh, piece, I really got into it, and I learned to really immerse myself into the music and not get straight stage fright because I do occasionally get stage fright still. That's part of it. Actually, stage fright is a good thing. It, it keeps your head straight. Mm -hmm. Nobody, nobody's a hundred percent comfortable being on stage. So with opera, obviously it's not like being an actor where there's a thousand theaters. It's very limited because there's not as, because you do kind of have to have a full orchestra. So I would imagine it's a little bit harder to get into that realm of professionalism or it is it definitely is because first of all opera is scarce and part of the reason why i think it is scarce is because a lot of people are kind of scared away by their misconceptions and preconceived notions of opera that just aren't true now do you Such think as, that only applies here in america or or have you uh researched it and maybe like in europe or other places where it's originated it's a little bit more open I think specifically in America is where the decline is happening. Damn Americans. Yeah, I know, right? They ruin everything. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in America, opera is still seeing it seen as a very snobby thing, only for old white people, and only old white people are involved, uh, that sort of thing. But it's really not as restrictive and exclusive as a lot of people think it is. And I know, obviously, you have great disdain towards things like America's Got Talent, but in a way, by having, by exploiting little kids singing opera on the show, it does open it up to new ears that maybe who haven't heard it before and may discover that they may like it. So would that be fair so to say or, <laughs> or it, no? It is fair to say to a point, <laughs> but the problem is, since they're not really singing opera, they're not really hearing the real authentic what opera actually is first of all if some 12 year old girl on america's got talent is singing in what is perceived as a fully mature female voice first of all that's not a natural sound second of all her, you know for sure her parents are making bank <laughs> off of that shit yeah. and that's the only reason why she's there yeah yeah and third of all by the time she hits my age, you know, assuming that she starts America's Got Talent or whatever when she's 12 years old, when she hits like 26 or something, their voices are going to sound tired and exhausted because they were pushed beyond their limits when they were just way too young to handle it. Well, I think in a way it's also easier to fake. I know that sounds silly, but if you were to take somebody like that on America's Got Talent and put them up against just a normal opera singer, you would be able to hear the tremendous flaws Compared, but because most people don't listen to opera, they can't really recognize it as opposed to like you have a bad guitar player, you listen to guitar all the time. So if you hear a bad guitar, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, that guy sucks. So, mm -hmm. but it's a little bit hard to recognize with something you've never heard. All you're hearing is these high falsetto notes, and you go, oh, that's really good. Oh, they must be really talented. And no, not really. They're just kind of half assing it. That's exactly right. 
they're not using proper technique and in the process they are wrecking their voices. Yeah, unfortunately. But hey, if it gets it out to the masses, what the hell, let's exploit some people, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so obviously uh, you sing in different languages. Mm-hmm. Now, is it easy for you to sing in different languages as opposed to speaking them? Can you speak these languages or is it just easier just to phonetically uh, sing in Italian or German? What's your favorite? Uh, uh, my favorite two to sing in are Italian and French. French. That was it. That was the other one I was thinking. Right. Now, unfortunately, I'm not fluent, like not completely fluent or conversational even in any of the languages that I sing in, unfortunately. With French, it's a little more so like I'm a little more conversational in French. Um, It just takes a lot of intense, deep study of this music for me to not only learn everything phonetically, but also to comprehend what it is I'm singing. Because if I'm just singing a whole bunch of pretty Italian words and I'm not accompanying it with the emotion that I'm supposed to be expressing, what good is that going to do? Yeah, you have to understand what... Right, I could be singing about my husband dying, or I could be singing about skipping through a meadow... Uh, you know, chasing a rainbow, you would never know. And I feel like it does a great disservice to not study the meaning of what you're singing. But it's still quite amazing that some people can sing a different language, but they can't speak it. Like if you go over to Japan and they're singing American songs perfectly, but then they can't say hello. You know, it, it's it's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? That our brains can comprehend musically, but not through speech patterns. Right. That's that's definitely true. My mom is kind of like that. She's just like, like, I'll say something like, oh, man, I wish I was completely fluent in French or completely fluent in Italian. And then my mom is just, just like, well, you can sing in Italian. You can sing in French. How come you can't speak it? And I'm just like, yeah, mom, that's totally the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Leave it to moms. They always know what to say. <laughs> right. And it's definitely not the same thing as speaking a language with you when you're studying a song and you're singing it in a different language, it's not the same as being on the spot trying to have a conversation with someone. And unfortunately, I forced you through uh, my project, KOF in Underground, I forced you to sing in English, <laughs> which yes, I know indeed. you didn't like, but I, I'm not fluent in any other language except for white boy English. So <laughs> that's all I know. Um, but... I still appreciate uh, what you did on the song, and I'm going to play a little bit of Down the Lonely Path so people can hear that uh, and hear your, your English uh, um, interpretation, <laughs> so to say. Now, the reason I played that section of the song, because obviously there is a part where you're singing by yourself, 
that to me was absolutely the perfect duet of death vocals and opera. That's exactly how I heard it in my head. And the fact that you brought that forth, I was just like, crap, this is, this is exactly how I wanted. I was just blown away by it. And which is a hard thing to accomplish sometimes, especially when you're working with people who aren't in the same studio as you, you're on the mm -hmm. other, you're in another state, uh, Tony on the vocals and that he's in California. So for you to accomplish that, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Like that really means a lot. And because I, I sometimes do question how, how good I am because I, I, every now and then I'll have a little bit of imposter syndrome. You know, I think everyone does at some point. Um, I'm just like, oh, all of this shit happened by accident. I really didn't do anything special to earn this at all. You did. It, it, it was absolutely a mistake. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, you but um, I, to hear that kind of feedback from the uh, musical mastermind um, on their project, I really, really appreciate hearing that. It's awesome. <laughs> Now, did you get any, I'm curious, uh, since it was released uh, at the beginning of January, did you receive any negative response because it wasn't goth, because it wasn't, because uh, obviously it's a mix for you, uh, having death vocals on there or having uh, something that's not quite what you're used to hearing, or, or maybe your audience isn't quite used to hearing? Uh, oddly enough, I did not get any negative feedback on it, which was really nice. Um, I did have a, several people who did comment saying this isn't my type of music because a lot of my audience obviously does listen to like strictly goth music. And they they did make a point of saying, while this isn't the genre I typically listen to, I enjoy it. And you did a really good job. OK, well, that's they were being nice. They, that, uh, mm -hmm. we're, we give our gratitude to them for not <laughs> destroying us. But that's what I find really odd is that for some reason, people tend to find a style. They like to stick to it, whether it's metal, whether it's goth, whether it's country music. For some reason, people say, oh, I like country music and that's all I can listen to. I can't listen to this. And I, I, I never comprehended that. Even, even from a little kid, I was listening to, uh, you know, Michael Jackson's Thriller, Journey, uh, Exodus and Metallica all at the same time. So it was like, why can't these people branch out? Right. And I've I've also found that to be a mystery as well. And it always cracks me up whenever I hear someone say, oh, well, I can't be a real goth because I'm not into the music. And then they'll say something like goth is too limiting. And I'm just like, well, first of all, <laughs> if you think goth is limiting, you're not doing it right. Yeah. Um, second of all, you don't need to restrict yourself to just one genre of music to listen to for the La until the last day of your life. It doesn't work like that. Um, when I was a kid, I was listening to not only just classical music and not go only goth, but I was also listening to some symphonic metal. I loved Queen. In fact, Queen was my ga gateway drug to opera. Um, <laughs> of course, yes, that makes sense. Uh, absolutely. And uh, David Bowie and several other genres, but I never really restricted myself to just one, and that still is the case many years later. I think it's like a weird, maybe it's not even have to do with the music. Maybe it's just a weird high school thing where, you know, you don't want to be shunned from your, your group or your little clique or whatever. Like it, it's just, a, I always found it very weird. Like even back in the nineties when we would go to clubs 
and we would have these girls at like, you know, Helter Skelter and stuff like that. And they'd be like, oh, those those girls over there, they're just uh, weekend warriors. They only dress up on the weekend. And I'm thinking, who cares? That's when I I'm not dressing up 24 seven. I have to work. You know, I have to do other things, <laughs> you know, like who cares? What is what is the big deal about that? It, it, it's like whenever we would play a club as Will-O-Wisp. We would play a metal club, and if we played a gothic song, people would throw ice at us or whatever. And if Oof. we played a goth club, we, they would all, oh, you're too heavy, get out of here. You know, so <laughs> we, we always had that challenge, and, uh, but that's what we like. Why can't you like different styles of music? Right, and I guess a really good example of uh, a really eclectic uh, taste in music would be my fiancé, Kenny. Um, he's into gorillas. He likes big band stuff. I've gotten him a little bit more into classical since we've been together. <laughs> um, he loves Queen. He loves David Bowie. He likes some 80s music. He likes what I like to refer to and make fun of him for as uh, elevator music. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always good. Uh, but even from that perspective, the fact that you're able to accept him for his music and he's able to accept you. That's the way it should be. But that's the way it should be, not just because you're partners. If you're friends or like acquaintances. Multifaceted people. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's, it's just, it's always baffled me and bothered me. And, you know, and of course, I'd like to round them all up and shoot them. Just kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't promote violence unless I have to. Uh, so one of the other things you do on your YouTube channel is you're a raging alcoholic. And you promote absinthe. <laughs> you <got me. laughs> no, I, I see. There's a lot of reviews for for absinthe, right? Is that am I pronouncing mm -hmm. it right? I never know if you I are. Am. Okay, and uh, I I think I had absinthe once when I was many many many. I'm not a big drinker, but uh, not to say that you have to be to try different styles uh, types of alcohol. But so what is what is that obsession with this, or what is that fascination with this style of alcohol versus? you know, wine, like why not be a, a, a wine person thing? Tester? Well, I do love wine. Uh, don't let my videos fool you. Um, <laughs> I really do enjoy wine. In fact, it's probably fair to say that I drink wine a little more often than I do absinthe. Okay. Um, but when it comes to absinthe, I was initially like informed that it was a thing when I was a kid watching Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992 for the first time. Oh yeah, yeah. And there's that very famous scene where Dracula is drinking absinthe with Mina. And I thought, Oh my God, what is this? This is so cool. <laughs> and I really liked the ritualistic aspect of it. I loved the color and I liked the idea that there was a separate level of consciousness that was implied in this particular part in this movie. So I thought, okay, this is really interesting. Let me look into this a little more. So I did my research when I was a kid and I thought, okay, this stuff seems really, really cool. I am a fan of black licorice and that's what a lot of people compare the taste to. So when I become of drinking age, I'm going to try it. Yeah. When you become. And, <laughs> yeah. I was actually like right before drinking age when I had absinthe for the first time. Oh, okay. I was uh, doing a, a shoot somewhere in uh, New Orleans, actually. And the people whose house we were staying at, they had absinthe and I tried it and I loved it. And honestly, if you're going to try absinthe anywhere in the United States, you need to try it in New Orleans. That seems to be the right idea. Yes. That... <laughs> yeah, that was just very shortly before I turned 21. 
it, but I like how you're trying to break the, cause obviously there's a myth and there's this mystery around it that it's obviously it causes brain worms or whatever, or, or it's, you know, it, it causes you to go crazy. And even still today, even watching like a episode of Bob's burger where they, he drinks absinthe and then he, you know, he goes kind of crazy just from drinking that and hallucinating. Obviously that's not right. <laughs> no, it's not right at all. And it does bother me a little bit that a smear campaign from over 100 years ago is still being cited, but for entirely the wrong reasons um, as to the appeal of absinthe. It's just like, oh, my God, this stuff was banned because it makes you trip balls. Oh, my God, <laughs> I want to have some. I'm going to have a good time. And when I t when I present people with the facts and I do tell them, you know, these misconceptions are not true. They're just like, oh, well, there's no point in drinking absinthe now. It's just boring green alcohol. And it's just like, okay, if you're going to have that attitude toward absinthe, then what would be your attitude toward any other type of alcohol out there? You know, why bother drinking beer or drinking wine or drinking tequila if it doesn't make you trip balls? That's a really stupid argument. Yeah, but at least you're trying to get that message out to people and let them know. Because uh, like I said, I didn't know. I mean, I didn't care one way or the other to tell you the truth. I didn't give it a second thought, but when I saw your your uh, reviews on your YouTube channel, I was like, oh, okay, I didn't know that. And I didn't even know how you poured the crap or that you do that. What do you put it on a sugar cube or something like that? Or what? You pour it over something, right? Um, in my reviews, I don't use sugar because I have been advised by many um, absinthe experts and absinthe drinkers out there and distillery owners that for your first taste, you, sh you should not use sugar so that you can gauge whether it has enough natural sweetness for you to drink it without sugar and whether the sugar would actually overpower it. But the traditional method of preparation is one part absinthe, which is about one and a half ounces to three to five parts of water. It is very important that this ice, that this water be ice cold and that it is dripped slowly into the absinthe and that the sugar dissolves into it. So, but that is one of the things is, is, because it always looked weird to me that they were pouring it over like a sugar cube. I always thought it was like some kind of heroin thing. My perspective, <laughs> again, it looks like like something, hey, you're going to put a spoon there and you're going to burn it and, and get high from it or something. That that was the perception I always got. Right. And you also may have seen, you know, depictions on TV of the flaming absinthe shot. And that's also not correct. <laughs> well, yeah. And I'm sure it was probably a, a, a rigorous campaign by Budweiser so that way they can they, they don't eat into their profits you know <laughs> that's usually <laughs> the case all misconceptions are due to false uh false advertising by other companies trying to destroy their bottom line yeah and that's exactly what happened back in the pre-ban era when the wine lobbyists wanted to get rid of their competition which was absinthe they took a few bad apples with some people who were making adulterated, toxic, very cheap versions of absinthe that were causing ill effects for some people. And they kind of painted all absinthe with the same brush in that regard. Just like, oh, all absinthe does this to you. All absinthe does this to you. It makes you crazy. It makes you hallucinate. It makes you shoot up your family. And that actually did happen. <laughs> <laughs> but absinthe solely was to blame, not the other alcohols that this Swiss farmer was drinking. So again, it's just people doing stupid stuff to make more money, I guess, is is the cause there. But you're on the crusade to let people know they can drink freely and and be happy about it. I mean, it looks exactly. cool to me. I'm not a big drinker, but if I was going to drink, I would. that looks cool. <laughs> you know, 
it's a it's a cool way to drink. It definitely is. And it's more than just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get drunk. It's gonna be great. It's more like participating in a ritual. It's more like uh feeling like a calmer yet alert version of yourself. And that's something that's really special about Absinthe. And it's also connected with the legacy of many authors and musicians and writers that I very much love. And I want to carry on that tradition by drinking it and supporting Absinthe brands and companies myself. I do want to ask you about something. I don't know if it's a sensitive subject for you, but uh, to go from drinking alcohol and then into this seems like a great segue is mental illness in uh, goth. Cause I know there's a big misconception that gothic people are depressed and that we're all just fucking people that, that don't want to do anything. We just want to kill ourselves and shit like that. But you do in a way suffer from uh, uh, some mental, I don't know, would you call it what you have mental? I don't know if, uh, if I'm being too forward here, uh, the ADHD, type of uh, stuff? So yes, that is kind of a mental health issue. Um, I do suffer from ADHD and it is paired with a heaping spoonful of anxiety that goes along <laughs> with it. And um, I would say that a lot of people who go undiagnosed with ADHD, unfortunately, um, do suffer from more anxiety and more depression and do suffer from addiction issues if it goes undiagnosed for a long period of time. But I would have to say that from my perspective of you and what I've known of you through our conversations is that even though you do suffer from this, you're always working 10 hour shifts. When you're not working 10 hour shifts, you're making YouTube videos, learning how to sing opera or, or perfecting your opera talent or even gaming with your fiance on Twitch, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're still able to do things that I think in today's society, from what I gather, is a lot of people use mental illness as a crutch. They, and I'm not putting it down because I grew up with mental illness from my mother. And when I see people say, oh, I have this or I have ADHD or I have depression, and they use it as kind of a way for people to feel sorry for them. But people who do have it, I'm trying to say it delicately without insulting anybody. But they actually don't want it to be out there. They try to hide it. They tried to, to, to say, oh, that's not who I am. I'm a hardworking person. I'm, I, listen, I have my faculties together. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I think I get what you're saying. <laughs> so what is your perspective on that, uh, uh, especially with this whole misconception that gothic people are, you know, all depressed or sad? I mean, maybe emo people. I mean, no offense to uh, uh, emo. I mean, emos basically are are our dirty second cousin, but gothic people are always saw as like, you know, because you love death or horror or whatever, there must be something wrong with you mentally. Right. And I would say that part of it has to do with people looking in at us from the outside and not fully understanding what we're all about. Um, you know, they see the makeup and they see the clothes and then they hear some of the music and they take it out of context and they're just like, Oh, well they're pr promoting negative things like depression and self-harm and whatever, and, and being sad. And that's not really the case. If you really take a good listen to actual goth music and not, you know, Marilyn Manson, which is what a lot of people think goth music is. <laughs> yes, I've been called that many <laughs> um, times. <laughs> absolutely. It's just like, ugh. But if you actually do take a moment to listen to it, it's not as depressing and as depressed 
as people make it out to be. And I think another part of it is that goth people are also super open about their struggles, either with the uh, mental health stuff or um, stuff that they're going through. And that's um, what I mean. It's like it seems like uh, people of that nature are more in touch with their feelings. And that's why they're able like I don't. I don't want to die. I, I admire death. That's why I want to learn all about it. That's why I want to walk through a graveyard. So I appreciate the life that I have mm -hmm. because I understand there is no God. I understand there is nothing around us. All there is is death. So I want to appreciate all the beauty that there is. How do you see, like, like what is your take on that with the current goth scene? Do you think people really understand it or do you think people think goth is pretty much just a fashion show at this point? I think it's a mix. Some people think, oh, it's just a dark fashion show for a lot of, you know, either people who want attention or e-girls or, you know, like enthusiasts of maybe like period dramas or whatever. And then other people think, oh, it's just a bunch of depressed teenagers blasting Marilyn Manson and slitting their wrists. And then other people think, oh, God, a bunch of freaks over there <laughs> <laughs> and don't really want to get into it any further. Um, but I think that, like I said, with goths being more in touch with their emotions and wearing their hearts more on their sleeves and uh, being less inhibited in talking about those issues, we're able to deal with it a lot better than most people, I think. Yes, that's that's exactly my perception. And now, how do we get that out to people to where they can recognize that? Because I think, you know, I hate to say it, but uh, I look on and maybe I'm being short minded, maybe I'm being shallow by saying this. But I, you know, you flip through Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, and you see all these people and, and it's like they miss the point about what it is, what goth is, I think they, they just have this, this thing that, oh, I saw a cool Halloween episode of America's Next Top Model. And oh, wow, that's what goth should be. And oh, I love it. Oh, it's so creepy. And that, you know, to me, that's not what it was. It's, it's about the culture. It's about the mindset and the attitude and, and growing up, you know, like back in the 80s and 90s, you didn't have hot topic, <laughs> you know, you, no. didn't have, you, you had to go out and find your own goddamn clothes. You had to make shit out of your mom's clothes or your grandma's clothes. In our case, it was our grandma. <laughs> so from your perspective, do you think there's hope that it will change from this vapid? And, and again, it's not just goth. I think it's all scenes are, are, are maybe it's social media that's causing that to become uh, all scenes to become unrealistic. I think that's a contributing factor. Do you think it, there's it's part hope? of it with just social media, just in general. The thing with social media is that it's a very visual stimuli. So if you want to gain a following or if you want to seem cool or you want to go viral, then you have to be shocking in some way or be special and be unique. And what can you do to accomplish all those things? You know, latch onto a label and try to look like the gothest goth that ever gothed. <laughs> and then judge and everyone because they're not as goth as you. I just hate, you know, listen, if somebody just wants to paint one fingernail black and wear jeans and call themselves goth, I'm cool with that. I don't care. You be whoever you want to be. You be the best person that you can be. But I hate when people have this attitude that they're the, this new term called elite goth or or I'm wearing I rock shoes, so I'm better than you or I get a sponsorship from, you know, Dolls Kill or whatever uh, the stupid companies out there. And it, it, it's to me, it's just it, it's degrading. See, I 
absolutely agree. I would rather someone take pride in their involvement in the subculture, not via materialistic things, but more like, oh, here are my experiences with being in the goth scene. You know, I, I've gone to these clubs. I've seen these bands. Um, these are my favorite bands. And here are my favorite books to read. Let me share it with you. And yeah, more of like um, a community, because that's the way it was when I grew up, when I first moved to Hollywood, you know, uh, I knew very little about I liked like Christian death, but I didn't know who they were. I didn't know they wore makeup. But when I moved to Hollywood, I was like, holy crap, all this stuff is around me. And they welcomed me with open arms. Uh, people were like, oh, you're a freak. Come on over here. This is where all the freaks are at. We're not going to you know, I guess they still judged people, but it was more like we accept you. We don't care if you're this or you're that. You're part of us now. Yeah, definitely. There's a huge theme of acceptance with people who are genuinely into goth. And that's definitely more the case with people who are into elements, you know, other than the music that supplement their goth experience, so to speak. So those who are interested in the literature and the music and the fashion and the architecture and into all the spooky shit that we love so much, they tend to have a little more longevity in the scene. They're the ones keeping it going. And as it should be. But unfortunately, you have all these. And again, I, I, I'm not trying to put anybody down out there. But then again, I am. So fuck you. I am. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a hypocrite. I'll admit that from the very get go. I say one thing, do another, do another, do something else. But I think people should understand all the options around them and be accepted whoever they want to be. You shouldn't exclude people or you shouldn't, uh, uh, you know. Uh, make people feel like shit because they're not with the latest fashion or with the latest uh, hip crap or exactly and maybe it's just you know me being slightly old-fashioned because I was raised by older parents and I was instilled with the value of uh, being intelligent and well-spoken and you know knowing your stuff is a little more valuable than how much attention you can get and I kind of want to instill that in my young viewers as well. For example, like when I was a kid, I remember watching like jaywalking with Jay Leno with my parents. And, you know, he would go out on the street and ask people questions about like American history or something. Uh -huh. And he would go up to this guy and he would be like, when was the war of 1812? And then the guy would say, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't want to be that idiot. Yeah. <laughs> and so I try to instill that, that kind of, value and that intellectual curiosity and that thirst for knowledge in my younger viewers. I want to encourage them to read. I want to encourage them to look things up for themselves instead of just asking someone, what does this mean? You know, look it up for yourselves because you'll, you'll retain that information better than you would if you just ask someone. Now, do you find that it, that it's working or, or do you sometimes beat yourself over the head and go, Holy crap. What the hell? <laughs> I would say that it's working. Okay. Um, I'm noticing that a lot of my younger viewers and um, even some like uh, English teachers have commented on my videos and saying, oh, well, I play your videos in my class to get my students excited about reading Gothic literature pieces that I have them read in class and it's working. So when I hear stuff like that, I'm just like, yes, it's working. I'm doing something <laughs> right. <laughs> That's always a good feeling. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and so, well, I guess we've been talking about it now, but I, I definitely we should uh, let people know 
in case they're not just fans of yours, what is your YouTube channel? Because you could probably pronounce it better than I can. Yes. So my YouTube channel is Ligia Resurrected. So it's L-I-G-E-I-A Resurrected. And it's inspired by Edgar Allan Poe, like you said in your video when you were talking about yeah. um, Lost in the Sea of Empty. It's from an old story, right? Short, one of his short stories, not a poem. Yes, his short about. story yeah. called uh, Lygia. And it's my favorite story by him. And it's wonderful. And uh, if you look in the description of my videos, then you'll be able to see all the other links to my social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I have a Facebook fan page, um, all that fun stuff. Well, and my Twitch channel, of course. Yes, because uh, that, that's the other cool thing, too, is you you live stream on Twitch. You do gaming. I think it's... Uh, uh, we just finished playing Resident Evil. Yeah, that's it. Resident Evil. Yeah. yeah, and now we're currently playing Amnesia Rebirth. Okay. Um, we still have a little bit of ways to go on that one, but I'm really... I'm enjoying some aspects of it, and others is just like, okay, not as good <laughs> as the first. <laughs> but still, it's again, it's a, it's an attribute to you branching out and doing something and not just saying, okay, I'm, I'm just going to be a YouTuber and that's it. I'm going to do gaming. I'm going to do music. You also do a lot of reviews uh, of different bands, literature, absinthe, of course, and things like that, which I think is great. It's, it's a good mix of everything that I guess goth culture has to offer. And it's not just about makeup tutorials or boring ass fashion crap. Exactly. And that was my goal when I decided to make my channel my channel um, multi-dimensional and talk about all the things about the goth subculture that I fell in love with and that I want to share with people so that I can show. It's not just about the fashion. It's not just about the music. Here's some other stuff that you might like that will keep you in it for longer. And that's, yeah, because anyone who is obviously, maybe they're not fully uh, uh, aware of what they want to do, but they see it and they're fascinated by the look, which is fine. And then they realize, oh, there's more to this than meets the eye that I can I can definitely uh, enjoy something else and not just be on to the next fashion show, makeup tutorial, whatever I and constantly I see. <laughs> Right. And I always want my view my viewers to walk away from my videos learning something. I don't want to just show off my pretty shiny absinthe crap and be like, oh my God, look at this spoon. It's so pretty. Oh my God, <laughs> look at my fountain. It's so pretty. You know, I want them to learn something. So that's why when I did my um absinthe haul a little while ago, that I made absolute sure to include fun facts about absinthe that they probably didn't even know. You teach the alcoholics well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. No, that that that's definitely a good thing. I mean, it, because the, if anything from YouTube or anything else, keep people learning, and that's that's the the at least they get something out of it, and they're not just you know wasting their brains away on constant. Yeah, visual. you're not you're not developing a neutral zone around their head. <laughs> yes. So definitely, uh, if you haven't yet. Please check out her YouTube channel. Check out. Do you actually have a web page dedicated uh, to all of your stuff, or uh, what I would do be your? Not. What is your main focus uh, to find you on YouTube, or, or is that the best way to find all your links to social media? Best way to find me is on YouTube, and then from YouTube you will see my links to everything else. Go on YouTube, look up Adrian Levey, or however she pronounces it, resurrected. Lygia. <laughs> Lygia. That's it. I always say it wrong because that's why I didn't attempt it until I hit until I hear it the proper way. So one final question here. All right. So here's the deal. You want to be a famous opera singer. So mm -hmm. you sell your soul to the devil. 
And he says, all right, I'm going to make you the greatest opera singer of all time. And part of that wish, part of that deal is that you get to perform with your favorite artist, living, dead, throughout history, whoever it is. Who do you choose for that? Ooh, oh, man, that's tough. Um, I mean, living, dead or, or anything present, future, past, I would have to say my favorite composer. Like if it were him on piano and me singing um, with him accompanying me, that would be amazing. And I would die a happy girl. <laughs> and who would that be? Uh, Gaetano Donizetti. Okay. He is my favorite composer. He's the reason why I got into opera. And what would that be like if you were able to do that? Would you be able to actually perform or would you just pass out in... Uh, uh... <laughs> in excitement. I think after the initial shock, <laughs> I'd be able to perform. Now, are you into all that religious type of stuff? I mean, me, unfortunately, I'm a hardcore atheist, pretty much like hardcore Christians are hardcore Christians. I don't believe in anything, no religion, no nothing. I'm a science fact-based thinker. What is your take on the whole worldly account of all things? I would say that I am spiritual, but not religious necessarily. Um, I'm kind of an energies of the universe kind of person, um, more than any kind of de denomination of faith or belief system. Because obviously anything organized is corrupt and yeah, pretty much sucks ass, but pretty much. Yeah. To, to say it lightly, but okay. Well mm -hmm. said, well said. <laughs> That's good. I was going to have to kick you off if you were going to say, oh yeah, I'm a devout Christian. Love Jesus. <laughs> we can't have that on the show. No, no, oh, I don't no, want to discriminate against Christians. Oh, actually, I don't want to discriminate against anybody except for Christians <laughs> because I'm a hypocrite like that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so listen, Adrian, I want to thank you very much for being on the show and taking the time to talk with us about your wonderful voice your YouTube channel, and all the wonderful things that you do. And I hope to work with you again in the future. I hope to uh, maybe work on some future music and do something really cool if you're up for it. I'm definitely up for it. It was such a thrill working with you the first time, and I can't wait to do it again. And uh, by the way, anybody else out there, if there's any musicians out there, if you need an opera singer, contact her because she will be your lady. I don't Yay. know if that came out wrong or not. That sounded it's weird. okay. <laughs> but all right. Well, I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you very much. This woman has just cut, chopped, broken, and burned five men beyond recognition. All right. So thanks, everyone, for listening to the show. I hope you take the time to check out Adrian LeVay's uh, channel. Uh, I think you'll be really entertained. Make sure that you follow us on all social media or the crows will eat your eyes out. We're on all of it, some way, some form or another. Just look up Gothic Side of Life, Facebook, I don't know, Macari. We're on there. We're on Macari. I'm selling all of my stuff on there because I can't afford life. It's time for me to go, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for me to creep back into my hole and not see daylight for another week. Until then, I bid you farewell. <laughs>